Go down, Moses, the Lord says. This is uh, the intimate conversations between God and Moses, the Lord, Yahweh. This is the God that appeared to him at the burning bush there on the backside of the desert when he had given up his chances for a good life in Egypt. And now he was a lowly shepherd on the run, hiding from Pharaoh. And God met him in that burning bush. It's hard to know why it was a burning bush that he encountered that day. It said the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. And I don't know of a better image of God than that, a bush that is burning, but is not consumed. That our life in God is one of burning. God is, as the New Testament says, burning away the wood, hay, and stubble of our lives and leaving the gold, silver, and precious stones. That burning of God that comes into a person's life and gives us the clarity to see what is really worth worth it and what isn't. And this doesn't mean we don't appreciate things or have fun or happiness or uh, drink milkshakes or things like that. What it means is that um, ultimately we realize that the source of human joy is in God and in the kind of stuff that God is happy about. Um, that is where our happiness and joy lies, because that is where our future lies, too. That our future with the God who is burning but is not consumed is one for eternity. That God is not going... I think a lot of conceptions of heaven are just sort of a glorified vacation um, from earth. And there's some good reasons for that. I'm not denouncing that or anything. Those are good to think about relaxing in heaven especially when life is hard here. That's a good thing to do. Um, but the idea that sort of heaven is a sort of an amplified version of the good life here, the, the classic song, The Big Rock Candy Mountain, is probably the best illustration of this. The hobo song, In the Big Rock Candy Mountain, all the, all the, uh, uh, dun, 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 dun. And the little streams of alcohol come trickling down the rocks. There ain't no short-handled shovels, no axes, saws, or picks. I'm going to stay where there ain't no... Where they hung the jerk who invented work in the Big Rock Candy Mountain. I need to learn the lyrics for that. But in other words, the dream of the guy is that heaven will be all the stuff that he really wants in this life, um, just in a more amplified way. So streams of alcohol pouring out of the mountainside that he can drink. No more work. Um, you know, the chickens, the chickens all lay eggs that he can steal right there. And um, life is good. And that's sort of our imagination of heaven, as if it's um, sort of just a better version of our best day here. And there's certainly some truth to that. I'm not denouncing that at all or di discounting that. But... Um, Heaven and life with God is more like the burning bush. It's more like Mount Sinai in that there is a knowledge there that God knows us and loves us and that we are in God that is beyond all the pleasures and happinesses that we get for a moment out of life. And that is what Moses has come to know. 
that his relationship with God, although it's tumultuous and, and full of turmoil and back and forth and full of even some uncertainty, Moses argues with God numerous times, um, especially for the lives of God's people. Um, and in that relationship, that is ultimately what we have looking forward for us in the future and as we experience it now. It is a relationship full of all the things that relationships are full of. This relationship with God that we see very vividly in the private conversations between God and Moses as they go up to Mount Sinai. God says, send up Aaron. And Moses says, but nobody's allowed to go. And um, he says, no, you can send Aaron up there too. Um, You know, sort of the back and forth between God and Aaron. Um, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but don't let either the priests or the people break through and come up to the Lord. Otherwise, he will break out against them. Um, so this idea that God is inapproachable has more to do with our protection than with God's. This is not so much to find out so God doesn't get exposed like the Wizard of Oz. Although there might be something going on similar to that. Um, it, is, it is for the safety of the people. Um, and we must remember this. In all of the advice we give or challenges we lay out for other people, um, we must remember that, um, that, that maybe not everybody should approach the holy mountain. Um, and maybe that, that, they, um, that we ought to be sensitive to where they are at in their journey and not so much where we think they should be or what mountain they should be on. Um, we would like all everybody to go to Mount Sinai um, and live there, um, like maybe we have experienced. But um, Moses is clear, like, there's a reason for that fence and the guys with the arrows and slingshots down there. Um, and so God is teaching God's people something about himself. Um, we see that in the next chapter, which you'll, we'll get to tomorrow. The Ten Commandments are laid out. These are the boundaries of the relationship, the covenant that God has made with God's people. Because that's ultimately what it is. When Jesus is born, everything changes. When Jesus dies on the cross, everything changes. Whatever separations between God and humans are broken down um, and were only maintained for our safety. When the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom when Jesus dies on the cross. That is the sign and symbol of this reunion with God, the union that we lost in Adam's fall when we used to walk with God in the garden um, in the cool of the day. That union was broken um, in the fall and now is restored in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we come boldly into the throne room of God. Um, My favorite part of this of this moment for Christians in our Eucharistic prayer is right after we finish the whole Eucharistic prayer, the canon prayer, A, B, or C, or D, or write one or two. And we say the big amen together. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, let us boldly say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I say it boldly, I try to anyway, And I hope you do too. When we get to that part of the liturgy, I hope you say it boldly, like you belong there, like you are in the throne room of God and you know God and God knows you. 
And so you can talk boldly to God in prayer um, because of what Jesus has done for us, because of what Moses experienced so many years ago, because of what God has done for us. God wants us to be close, to talk, to share. And that is what we see here in this conversation with Moses. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you've ever been to Santa Monica, California, Santa Monica, California is a beautiful place, and it's named after the saint uh, for today, Monica, often spelled with two N's in Latin, I think. Um, But she was born um, around 331 AD to Berber parents. Um, Berber people are of North African uh, origin and um, are very different from the um, Latin Italian people that settled in North Africa during the Roman Empire era. Um, Very different in many ways, uh, although they would have been Romans at the time. And she married a Latinized provincial of Tagaste, a sort of minor official named uh, Patricius. And the reason um, her life is known to us is because of her son. Uh, Her son is named Augustine or Aurelius Augustine. Um, The origin of the name Austin, the name Austin is a abbreviation or diminutive name of Augustine. That's why if you go down to the drag on Guadalupe, you'll find St. Austin's Roman Catholic Church. And that is the Austin of St. Austin is not Stephen F. Austin, the pioneer father of Texas. But in fact, it is St. Augustine of Hippo, who um, that's another name for him. Many people do not know that, as I did not for a long time. But her life is enshrined in the spiritual autobiography of her oldest son, Augustine. Um, That book is called The Confessions of St. Augustine. It's a a book really, I think, you know, I don't usually say like every Christian should read a book, but I really think that most Christians should read a book. If If you can read books, you should read this book. It's not very long, and it's one of the oldest spiritual autobiographies that we have from any period of history. And it's an amazingly self-revelatory book about a person's own sins and struggles. And one of the struggles that Augustine writes about is his relationship with his mother. Just because you're a saint and a doctor of the church and a bishop doesn't mean you have relational struggles with your, doesn't mean you don't have relational struggles with your mother, Um, both in really good ways and really difficult ways. Um, But there she was, um, married, having this child, and had a couple other children. 
uh, after him. Uh, her ambition was for a gifted son, uh, and it was transformed into a passionate desire for his conversion to Christianity. He was more like his dad than his mom, and he went into a career in rhetoric and other things. Meanwhile, she prayed for him and prayed that he would um, convert to Christianity. He is, Augustine is baptized in Milan in 387 by Bishop Ambrose. And um, together, Augustine and his mom, with, a young, with their younger brother, um, were planning a trip back to North Africa, where they were from. Uh, and while they were waiting for a ship at Ostia, a port in Rome, she fell ill. Augustine writes, one day during her illness, she had a fainting spell and lost consciousness for a short time. We hurried to her bedside, but she soon regained consciousness and looked up at my brother and me as we stood beside her. With a puzzled look, she asked, where was I? Then watching us closely as we stood there speechless with grief, she said, you will bury your mother here. Augustine's brother expressed sorrow for her sake that she would die so far from her home country. She said to the two brothers, it does not matter where you bury my body. Do not let that worry you. All I ask of you is that wherever you may be, you should remember me at the altar of the Lord. To that question, whether she was, whether she was not afraid at the thought of leaving her body in an alien land, she replied, nothing is far from God. And I need have no fear that he will not let he will not know where to find me when he comes to raise me to life at the end of the world. Recent excavations at Ostia have uncovered her original tomb. Her mortal remains, however, were transferred in 1430 to the Church of St. Augustine in Rome. When Monica dies, um, Augustine writes one of the most disturbing passages in the Confessions, and that is about his own grief over his mother's death. He is very obviously racked with grief, and yet he does not cry uh, for her. Here you see Augustine, who had lived by his passions for so many years, trying to, trying to rein them in. Um, we see a meditation on grief in his loss of his mother in, in a very intimate way that we don't really have um, in a lot of other way, people describing this. But it's a beautiful scene, and it's, it's touching, and it's very meaningful, and, and it's hard to understand, too, at the same time for me. Um, but I think about her and him and how much of the great lights of the world, like Augustine, um, have, have a, a mother that cared for them and prayed for them and hoped for them. Um, so if you're a mother here today and you have hopes for some, your child, um, keep praying, keep doing that. If you are a child and you have a mother, um, think about what your mother wishes for you and um, think about that maybe today and meditate on that, um, whether your mother is living or, or, not, um, or not with us anymore. And that relationship is one to be explored. It is not, no relationship between mother and child is perfect in any way. Um, and yet we, this is the reality of our lives. And Augustine's reality was similar to ours. Um, in this way. So St. Monica, um, known through her son, but standing as an independent figure in her own right, is something to meditate upon today. 
O Lord, through spiritual discipline, you strengthened your servant Monica to preserve in offering her love and prayer, to persevere in offering her love and prayers and tears for the conversion of her husband and of Augustine, their son. Deepen our devotion, we pray, and use us in accordance with your will to bring others, even our own kindred, to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. Augustine is often depicted as a Roman uh, person with a fairly light skin, um, and he certainly was, his father was a Roman, um, a, a European Roman, and yet his mother was Berber. Um, so there's some new icons of him uh, depicting his very dark uh, curly hair, which Berber people still have today, and, and much darker skin than um, is currently pictured in most um, most icons of St. Augustine. Um, again, an African saint, um, St. Augustine is through and through an African saint of, of our church.